Welcome back. P, can you introduce our guests for today? Absolutely. We've got Ben of The Bitcoin Company, goes by a Bitcoin person on Twitter. He's in a bunch of incredible stuff, has helped to finance and create systems that finance Bitcoin devs so they can continue to do what they love best and what benefits the network. He's an incredible contributor and we're excited to have him. We've also got Tony Giorgio, who is a lightning security expert, has done a bunch of amazing shit and most recently is working with Paul to build a new lightning wallet that is designed to not only maximize your privacy, but also to communicate really effectively with users and new users about those trade-offs and make people aware of the trade-offs that they're you know, taking on when they use Bitcoin or when they use Bitcoin specifically over the Lightning Network. Welcome to you both. How's it going? Tony, you there? We cannot hear you, my friend. Please. Just turn your camera on. This is, a, this is a live show where we see our pretty faces. What's up, Ben? What's up, guys? How's it going? Oh, oh hey, we lost Tony's out. Well, hopefully he will be able to rejoin us in the near future. Ben, what did I leave out? Tell the people who you are and why you're fucking awesome. I think I'm just a normal Bitcoin person. I don't think I'm that awesome. The The people who really build all the cool stuff are the other Bens, like Ben Carman, who's my co-founder. He's, he's doing the dirty work all day, doing all the integrations with our service providers and stuff. And then I think you mentioned Paul. Paul is actually the Paul and John from Zapright were really influential building out OpenSats, which you alluded to, which is the, the 501c3 for free and open source funding and contributors to Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna show myself too hard. I, I'm, I'd be happy to talk about how cool Tony is. Do it while we wait for him to jump back. Give us your, your best Tony pitch. And then what I'd like to do I, is to. I don't know that Tony's going to join with a video. I think you guys might. Oh, oh there he oh, is. Shit. We got him. I <laughs> uh, you're still muted, bro. The technical trials <laughs> and tribulations. He's probably using the, what do you call it? The satellite Wi-Fi. From, Good guy. Uh, All right. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get him to jump in. In the meantime, Ben, can you tell us what the Bitcoin company is and what you're trying to achieve? And before that, I did leave out an extremely important detail, which is that you won pitch day at Bitcoin 2022, which I was super excited about. You got this massive trophy that was like six feet tall and you beat out all the competition. There were a lot of really amazing other companies that were there and you, uh, you won. So, well, you won the, the specific okay. section that you were focused on. So there were multiple, you know, sort of yeah, areas. We were... Ben, before you, before you answer Pete's question, I want to rephrase it. Give us in the audience the pitch that won Pitch Day, please. Oh, oh, I love it. I love it. Hit us with it. Well, the pitch that won Pitch Day was like kind of about the bigger vision of the company and where we, where we really want to take it. And so that pitch is more about building a full stack financial services company that treats Bitcoin similar to how a bank treats dollars. So instead of treating you like a crazy person for wanting to invest your money in Bitcoin or wanting to send money on Saturday, we treat you like a normal person and we enable that. However, where we are today is we basically built out a loyalty and rewards company, as well as a, a company that allows you to basically live off your Bitcoin. So a lot of times when I'm just trying to create a comp, it looks a lot like BitRefill or PayWithMoon or some sort of fold competitor. We let you buy hundreds of gift cards, Uber, Airbnb, hotels.com, Delta. So like you can, you can live off your Bitcoin and we give, you know, you can buy gift cards for all these companies. 
and we give you sats back. And so the goal is to really get as many people off zero as possible. And then pretty soon, actually our, our target launch date is November 1st. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but we want to launch our Bitcoin exchange and our banking services. So really what we're trying to build is an end to end solution where you get everything you come to expect from your traditional bank, everything you come to expect to buy, sell, hold Bitcoin, but also just like a bunch of ways to earn free Bitcoin as well. So that's, that's the grand vision where we are today is, is kind of on the loyalty side, gift cards and uh, international visa cards like pay with moon. And then today, Carmen and I are here in Austin working on our latest couple products. So we're about to, we're about to push out phone top up to prepaid providers, about 800 around the world and card linked offers, which let you kind of hook up your existing visa, MasterCard, Amex. And then maybe go shop at, I don't know, Jimmy John's or Burger King. And we just give you like three or four bucks back in Bitcoin. So we're trying to start building out some, just as many freaking ways to, to give out free Bitcoin as possible. And then eventually, if you want to opt into a Visa debit card that gives you Bitcoin back on every purchase, you'll have that. If you want to do direct deposit, if you want to do top ups after you swipe your card into Bitcoin, we'll have, we'll have all these services. So that's the. Uh, that's the vision that, that one pitch day, I guess that was actually my first time ever publicly pitching. So it was a little nerve wracking, but yeah, that trophy was ridiculous. It just got, just got delivered here to Austin. So we'll have to put it up in Bitcoin comments or something. Oh, you have to, I mean, did, it's, it's as tall as you are basically. Did it, Mr. Wonderful give you yeah, some sort really of like quip while you were pitching, like in his classic Shark Tank-esque? No, I didn't have, I was on the adoption track and I'm not sure what Mr. Wonderful was, but I did not have the pleasure of, of creating a competitor to his green Bitcoin company. I would have loved, <laughs> I would have loved to throw in a jab or two there, but I didn't get that chance. No. Oh God. But yeah, I, I actually, the second place winner got a like limited edition autographed Bitcoin magazine and we got, we got like a huge trophy, which I have no idea what to do with. I'm a little bit jealous to be honest. <laughs> P, how did you fuck up the prizes that bad? It wasn't me, bro. It wasn't me. Remedy. Yeah, we, we got rugged on a few things with that. We were told there was a, there was a little bit of a Bitcoin prize that never came through. No shit. All right. We'll, we'll follow up after this. I keep That's giving, I think it was Harper. I keep, I've always given Harper shit. So if he's out there. He's listening. You, uh, you can give Harper shit. That, that's what his role was designed to do was to absorb shit so that P could operate at maximum capabilities. There you go. It's true. It's true. He did an amazing job. I could not have done the programming for Bitcoin 2022 without Harper. Shout out to Harper. He's fucking incredible. We would stay up until like four or five in the morning, just, you know, madly going through and trying to set up oh, some awesome programming code. Size and scope of that conference was unreal. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about going through to Bitcoin Amsterdam, but it sounds like you guys are back in Miami next year. That'll be a blast again. I don't know. Don't, hey, Ben, don't think too hard about it. Just let's go to Amsterdam and smoke some weed. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll at least be in Amsterdam. I hear, I hear there's other legal things as well. There. I just got to find the space cakes. I guess I can clarify that. Damn it. <laughs> well, yes. In case anyone is wondering, Ben is talking about psilocybin mushrooms and yes, I will also partake, but we need to find like the real space cakes, not like these bullshit, like, oh, the tourists, like give the tourists the, this shit. No, fuck that. You want to wake that. up like 72 hours later and be like, what the fuck happened? I genuinely, if you guys watch Atlanta, they have an episode where they go off and do space cakes in Amsterdam and it's a fucking trip. I want that. I literally, I want to feel as though my life is about to end. 
Then there's actually, uh, you go like west, two stops. You go west, one stop, I think it's the airport. But one more is this little town called Leiden or Leiden. And it's like a mini Amsterdam, not as many people, not as crowded. And it's, it's really freaking nice. I might end up staying there and, and training in, but that, that'll be my game plan. I'm Amsterdam is just too crowded these days, man. This like, fucking guy, too good for us to hang out in Amsterdam. <laughs> it's strange. That's, that's one of the great things about Europe is you can travel anywhere in about like one minute train that like speeds off to another country. So I remember being stuck in Paris one time and, and I, all the people were just like terribly mean to me. It was cold and rainy. And I just like hopped on a train and was in Amsterdam in three hours and proved my life drastically. Well, producer Chris just suggested space cake gift cards for the big No, that was, that was me. No, shit, yeah. that was you. That was me. I took it back. Dude, I, I genuinely think like, what, what's to stop the Bitcoin company from working with specific because for example one thing that i find very interesting is how you guys have this weird loophole with your visa gift cards i don't know if this is something that you want to like talk about publicly or not sure. can We're you share doing it can you not share sure with everyone you're referring to but the fact that if i buy my visa gift card with through my vpn to say that i'm outside of the us i can now use this gift card anywhere in the world correct versus if i buy it while I say I'm in the U.S., I can only use that gift card now in the U.S. Well, we just assume our users are using our platform from wherever they come in from. There, there's a few stored value laws. Gift cards are broken into two categories, open loop and closed loop. Closed loop cards, that's like Airbnb, Uber, and open loop are like Visa, MasterCard, Amex. Now, FinCEN basically says under certain values, these are unregulated. You fall into, fall into like a stored value exemption, which is why you always see in these stores, uh, you'll never be able to buy more than a $2,000 Home Depot card or a $1,000 Visa card. And that's because those are the limits they impose on these cards. Now, what's funny is there's a $10,000 limit a day, but there's a per card limit as well. So you can buy 10 $1,000 cards, but you can't buy a $1,001 card. So, I mean, that's an interesting, weird one, but there's another, there's another clause that these cards cannot be reloadable. And that's why these like, you know, pay with moon and ours are single load cards, um, or one-time use cards. Sometimes people use them that way, uh, but they can't be topped up without extensive KYC because then you fall out of the, the stored value exemption. Uh, and then there's one additional clause that FinCEN, which is the governing body in the United States has that says these funds can't be used internationally. So if you're a U.S. user, if you're a U.S. user, then you cannot, you cannot have a visa card that can be used internationally without KYC. I mean, you can KYC and get whatever you want. So all of our users outside of the U.S., Canada, Amsterdam, wherever you are, you, you are able to get an international card. And so I was just spending it in Croatia, Dominican Republic. We have users in Mexico, Brazil. People are really starting to use them for like remittances. It's much easier to, to top up a visa card and send that to your family and then go wait in line at Western Union or TransferWise. And a lot of people are starting to use this as like an alternative to a bank account. And that's, that's been really cool to see. We were not expecting such an adoption of like the international visa card usage. And, and given that we have, we're now pushing on a few a few new markets. So we're trying to get a Euro card. We're trying to get a pound card. Our, I think our next card is actually going to be a, a rupee, an Indian rupee card. And so we're going to push hard on that use case and try and get, try and get as many people living off Bitcoin as possible. Cause unfortunately, you know, not that many merchants accept it today, but almost everyone accepts Visa. So when you can top up a card in real time and spend it anywhere, it's, it's basically the same as spending Bitcoin.
That's awesome. Sorry, that was a long, that was a long time. No, no, oh, it was, no, it was fucking fantastic, man. How did you come up with the idea? By the way, unfortunately, Tony Giorgio has just let us know he's having internet issues. He will not be able to join us today, but we will have him back on in the near future to go through the stuff he's doing with PLN. But Ben, how do you feel having Tony Rook pulling, making you now our, our only guest? You now have to fill 90 minutes with us. You, you oh, only man. really had the obligation of 45 yeah. and now you got 90. Well, I've got Paul in the other room. We've got some special guests I could bring. Oh, shit. Drag him in here, man. Let's fucking go. They'd have to join over video, though, like for, separately from you. But yeah, man, let's fucking go. <laughs> I, I want to uh -huh. keep going down this the, the gift card rabbit hole for a moment because, as you mentioned, you're not the only company that sort of does this. There's Bit Refill. Oh. Like, I literally was on Fold last night buying my Domino's gift card to buy Domino's. So what or why is the Bitcoin company different than these companies? Like, what is it that your users are coming to you for that's different than these other companies? So you're, you're right. We're not the first one to do this. It's a business model that was a good, was a good start. It lets up like the economics behind it. There's, there's different ways that gift card or like merchants make money off gift cards. Typically there's some breakage, which means people don't spend the whole value. Sometimes oftentimes they overspend it's free marketing. It's like kind of like a, you know, a brand's logo in your face all the time. And so what they do is they end up giving us a discount and we pass that back onto our users. And so for me, it's like a free marketing engine instead of spending VC dollars and just paying my users, you know, free sats that are, you know, we're, we're draining our marketing budget. I can actually like build a, a business model, give away free sats and, and not lose money in the process. And so there's tons of companies that do this. Uh, I mean, every CVS or Walgreens you go into has been doing this for years. They just typically don't accept Bitcoin. So there's a few companies out there that, that do accept Bitcoin. I think Coin Corner, I think BitRefill was the original and, and Fold are the top ones that come to mind. I might be missing a couple, so I'm sorry. What's been great is they're all been really helpful. The way I'd say we, we're different, BitRefill, they were the OGs. They've been around the longest. They accept on-chain as well as Lightning, as well as honestly, like few shit coins like Dogecoin and other things. But you, you can spend with a lot of different cryptocurrencies with them. And they probably have the largest catalog out there. Credit to Sergey. I don't know. I don't know how he gets all these brand approvals or if he's just like running around with 20 different organizations under different names. But a lot of these brands don't want to work with Bitcoin companies. So it's often hard, you know, Amazon's a tough one to get. Apple's a tough one to get, but BitRefill, they're the OGs. They, I think, paved the way for accepting Bitcoin for gift cards. And I think they do have the largest kind of like international portfolio. Paxful is another one that comes to mind. Fold is a little more focused on the Visa card, a reloadable Visa card that earns you Bitcoin back. That's their kind of bread and butter. I think sooner or later, they're going to come out with a Bitcoin collateralized credit card. But they also do sell gift cards for Bitcoin. And I think they accept credit and debit card from most of them as well. And then who am I missing? Um, what we do, I guess, we, we, we only accept Lightning right now. We're working on a credit and debit card integration. So soon you'll be able to spend with your credit or debit card and earn sats back, which is what a lot of users want to do. And we're actually toying around with the idea of turning on on-chain. The reason isn't because it's technically very hard. It's mostly because there's a lot of customer support headaches, but yeah, that's how we differ from the gift card guys. And then pay with moon is, is one of the people kind of paving the way in the prepaid visa card space. The big differentiator from us and them is that we offer international visa cards to people outside of the United States and their, their visa cards can only be used in the U S but they've been around for a little bit longer. I think they allow like refunds off the card so you can claw back your funds, which we're working on, but 
those those would be the main differences. I think there's another company, Coin Debit, that just popped up. And so yeah, I mean I can I can dive in, but credit credit to all these guys. Will, Sergey, like they've all been so helpful. The second you start touching traditional fiat, you have to start worrying about fraud and risk. And God knows I don't know much about that. And so they they've kind of given me a lot of helpful hints and things along the way. So it's it, it's been nice to be on like the same team and I don't know, man. Selling gift cards is 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 kind of a hack, but it's really fun to give coin back to our users. I mean, that's it's it's super cool. That's super interesting. I think the in almost any other business environment, you would be just extreme competitors with anyone that was doing a similar style thing. I think it's really interesting that you know in the Bitcoin space, you know, the people that you mentioned, and most people are actively trying to increase Bitcoin adoption. And so they're more willing to collaborate. I just think that's an unusual and, and very cool environment to be yeah. in. And I think like everyone's developing their, their own little niche, like, you know, pay with moon, I think is, is probably working on cards in other countries, but like, you know, fold, fold started, I think as a Bitcoin pizza company and then moved into gift cards. And then they really found their niche with the, with the visa debit cards. And, you know, that's a fantastic product. Bit refilled, you know, I think they were one of the first to do phone top ups. So, you know, one of like, I also don't really see us as major competitors. Our goal is to build is to like collapse all of these rewards products down into one super app. So no matter what you want you'll be able to get it with our app. If you want to buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. If you want a bank account where you can direct deposit, if you want to buy a gift card or link your cards and earn Bitcoin back, like our goal is to be the one-stop shop. Whereas everyone else is kind of like seemingly hyper-focusing on their vertical. And that gets me shit sometimes. We have a big vision, a big plan, but the, at the end of the day, like I'm kind of got sick of like having a different app for a debit card, a different app for gift cards, a different app for my exchange and a different app for my bank. I think the way to, to really, you know, move people towards a Bitcoin standard is to give them all the, all the things they actually, most people kind of need in their day-to-day -day life from fiat banking, and then just layer in as many Bitcoin things as we can to make the experience much better. Like God forbid you actually have to send a wire these days. It's like a miserable experience. And I think pretty soon there's going to be enough like Neo banks and Bitcoin friendly applications in these hyper localized regions that like you'll be able to, you know, move money and move funds outside the traditional system. But until then, we kind of have to build like alongside it. At least that that's our thesis is, is, you know, my mom, she needs to write a check every once in a while. She needs, she gets paid in fiat. Someone like me, I can live off Bitcoin because of these visa cards, but it's going to be like more of a gradual transition than I think most, you know, Bitcoin maxis want. I would love tomorrow if all the banks were gone and all the payment networks were gone and we we're all using lightning and all the merchants could accept my payments. But the reality is this, like, that's not the case. So we're going to, we're going to try and like slowly transition consumers that way. And then there's other companies like strike and, you know, open node and, and others that are working on the other side of the equation with merchants. And I think together, you know, we'll bring the consumers, they'll bring the merchants and, and eventually we can move towards that, like vision of a reality where it's Bitcoin only, but banking as a, it plays a pretty strong role in today's society. I mean, most imagine most Bitcoiners have bank accounts and use cards. And so we just want to make sure that no, no matter how you want to use money or send money, we, we give you that option. Can we, you know, I want to separate something because one thing that I think you guys, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, the thing that you guys are really pushing forward and pushing through is, is Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. And, you know, there is a 
conversation still going on about the difference between a store of value and medium of exchange. I'm curious if you think that there is merit in waiting for Bitcoin itself to be a tried and true store of value before we really go down this lane of medium of exchange. And the only reason I asked this and it, it popped up, shout out BTC Sessions, who's in the audience that. right now, like his story of he was paid two Bitcoin to live off of. And it's like, well, fuck, that was eight, nine years ago. If, if only you had known what that would be worth now, I think it was like maybe 10 or some amount of Bitcoin that, you know, as you look back five, 10 years back, you're like, well, fuck, probably could have just gotten away with using cash. My fear and like why I definitely am at the side of like, you know, you can, I'll buy my gift card through you so you can give me Bitcoin, but living off of my Bitcoin right now feels like I'm just inevitably, inevitably going to kick myself in 10 years time when I'm like, well, fuck, did I really spend 0.01 Bitcoin at 40K a Bitcoin? So I, I'm curious your thoughts on that and how you try to hedge that. I think the opportunity cost of not holding Bitcoin, it's easy to look back and, and say, you know, damn, I, I spent, I spent Bitcoin at 8k or I spent Bitcoin at 3k or 20 bucks. Reality is Bitcoin is the best store of value. I think mankind has ever seen. I mean, it's, it's held, it's, it has volatility and that's, that's obviously, you know, not to be taken lightly if you're, if you're living day to day off it, but I mean, go look at the chart, zoom out a little bit. It's, it's, it's holding value pretty darn well. And it's, it's increasing in value. And so I think like, you know, if, if, Three months ago, you spent your Bitcoin to acquire something. You look like a really smart, you spent Bitcoin at the top and, and, you know, you, you got your goods and services for, you know, much cheaper in Bitcoin terms than they are today. My good friend, Gigi is always the one who's saying is like, anyone that tells you they think they know what the price is going to do in the short term is, is crazy. The, the, I think the only way is to dollar cost average. So like most, most Bitcoiners, I think are still probably getting paid in fiat. And I think that that's the safest way to expose yourself is just, you know, buy a little bit whenever you have savings. And uh, I, think, I think it's like our responsibility to promote, you know, a circular economy. If we want Bitcoin to progress, like most money does from, you know, collectibles to store of value to means of exchange, someone has to exchange it. That being said, I understand that the thesis behind like hodling. I understand like the, the case behind spend and replace, but I really enjoy like supporting companies, supporting people, supporting artists, trying to, trying to show merchants like that, that people are actually out here spending. So yeah, I think there's something to be said, but like, if you made that case three months ago, you were wrong. You like one, one funny story is when we raised money for our company, we sold, we raised mostly cash. And then the last two investors asked to, to give Bitcoin to us. And so we said, sure, we sold about, you know, we sold equity in our company for two Bitcoin, but we sold the, we sold the fucking top dude. Like we, we sold our equity at 60 K of Bitcoin immediately lost a bunch of money. And so, you know, looking back that that was a mistake, but then you have other stories like shared bits who raised, you know, I think a couple hundred Bitcoin back in the day. And now they look like geniuses. I, I think you can, you can point to stories in either direction. My, my big thing is like when Bitcoin moves, it moves fast. And if you are overexposed to fiat and you, you're not holding Bitcoin, maybe because you were trying to spend fiat or something, you're going to regret that. You know, I don't, you know, I don't think Laszlo to this day probably really regrets buying his Bitcoin pizza. I think it was probably a cool thing for him. And that was the first transaction ever. So it's just the progression of money. If we, if we want to, if we want it to be real, we have to, we have to help make it real, but that doesn't mean I'm not sitting on a 
you know, sitting on Bitcoin that I'm saving. I just, when I have the option to spend it, I, I try to. And just to be clear, when you say you're sitting on Bitcoin, I mean, my understanding was that you, you lost it in that, that freak abalone diving accident recently. You and I were deep in the, we were, we were doing free diving. We were about a hundred feet down. Our eardrums yeah. had popped. Blood was coming out of my ear because the pressure was too great. And you had your, your, your seed phrase just, you know, attached to your belt loop like you normally do just for security and make sure it's always on your person. And an abalone just reached out and grabbed it. They can do that. And I don't yeah. know that. There were the, the sharks that day were, were pretty intimidating. It, it got my mind distracted and, and yeah, it's all gone actually. So I guess I'll be using the credit card feature on my app from, from now, from now on. I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. It's a bummer. What, what are the biggest challenges that you have, you know, had to overcome or are currently struggling with when it comes to both starting a Bitcoin company and then the spe specifically within the domain that you're currently operating in? Sorry, the question was, what are the biggest challenges? Yeah, like what, what have been the things that, that have caused the most like consternation or you've had to, to spend the most energy trying to, to address or solve the biggest, yeah, what are the biggest challenges for you? Down working with fiat. We have lightning working. We could get on chain working. Bitcoin works like a charm. Carman is always telling me this. It's like, he's really only ever built on top of Bitcoin. It just works. Like, but we're... <clears throat> We're integrating with FIG right now for card linked offers. We've been working on a checkout.com like debit and credit card integration for two months now. And we like, we started to slowly beta test it, but then you have to deal with all these things like fraud and chargebacks. So now we're going to have to integrate like Sardine or SIF science or like a bunch of fraud and risk tooling. Eventually we're working to roll out the ability to like send money to our exchange so we can hold dollars for you. We can potentially buy Bitcoin. That means we have to integrate with Plaid. It means we need to get our money transmitter licenses or partner with a bank or trust that will have, you know, the ability to do that for us, which means I have to go spend fifty, hundred thousand dollars something on legal and regulatory documents. It's fiat, man. Fiat touching fiat is is the fucking worst. But we 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 kind of need to do it in order to bring more people into the Bitcoin fold. At least that's our thesis. There are plenty of Bitcoin only apps. And, you know, my mom doesn't use them. So what, what we're trying to do is, is actually build that bridge and, and do it in a way where we don't like sell out, like a lot of the, the fiat companies that, that are working in coin or crypto today do, but it's by far the biggest challenge, both from, you know, a monetary drain to, you know, our partners, APIs not working to just all the documentation and BS we have to deal with. It's uh fiat is, is just a nightmare and it's, it's different. That's just in the U S like I was highlighting our U.S. stuff. But the second I want to go do something in Canada or God forbid, Nigeria or Mexico or the EU is a nightmare right now. The UK is even worse. It's a whole different set of legal and regulatory stuff that we have to deal with. So like there is no global solution. Like everyone's like, you know, when, when cards that work everywhere and we did the best we could with these like international visa cards, but like you can't actually launch like a visa card program in every territory. Visa itself divides into like five or six different regions, everything with the different licenses, different issuing banks. Like it's just a nightmare. And that's how it still exists. It's, it, it became vehement due to regulatory moat. These banks make it harder and harder to compete with them. They make it more and more expensive. And every time they, they fuck up the, they, you know, pay off politicians to add even more regulation. Lightning just works. Bitcoin just works. And it's, it's beautiful to work with, but yeah, fiat. Fiat sucks, man. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs>
There was something that you said, and then Pia will let you continue, but I just want to highlight, I love the, the barometer that you use of, my mom doesn't use these other apps. And I think that's so true because it's for all of us who are entrenched in this and spend our day to day, you know, in the weeds, understanding what's good, what's bad, which products fit my needs, what products fit my family or my friends needs. The average person doesn't do that. And lo and behold, your parents and generations above us, sure as shit ain't going to do anything beyond what we just tell them to do. So I love that. There's a, an old Cal, Colin Coward quote where he was like, you're not really famous unless my mom knows who you are without me having to tell her you, who you are. So Colin I digress. Coward. That's the, the sports guy, right? Yeah. That's Yo, P, I, I turn it back to you. No, I mean, I think it was... Yeah, I, uh, I'll add, like, I, I do think we call them at our company, we call them pre-coiners. We, we kind of have different categories. There's no coiners. That's like the Peter Schiff's of the, maybe even like, well, I'm not going to name any other names, but people who are just like inherently biased against Bitcoin. Then there's pre-coiners. Those are people who either don't know about Bitcoin or who are open to it. That is really our target market. Right now we, we started building for Bitcoiners. I'm a Bitcoiner, you're a Bitcoiner. I think you get a lot of use out of our app, but like from a quote unquote you know, VC fundraising perspective, that market is not that many people use Bitcoin, you know, right now, when you compare it to something like the banking system or cash or, or visa. And so what we really need to do is convert the 90% of people who are open to Bitcoin, who aren't anti-Bitcoin. And we need to show them that it can be used. It is easier than the traditional financial system. And so that really is who, who TBC is built for. We do have products built for cypherpunks and built for Bitcoiners. But if, if we do our job right, it's going to be converting as many of that kind of 90% of the market who, who just doesn't know yet. We really think they need help. And without us and without Bitcoin, and without all these other people kind of building tools that are, you know, far easier nowadays to use than they were in the past, like with command line and stuff, like they're going to be, they're going to be really fucked. And so. Hopefully we can help as many people kind of opt out as possible. And, and yeah, it, it, there's, there's kind of a, a meme within the company is, is build for Sharon. So if she can actually, if it's easy enough for, if it's easy enough for Sharon to use, it's easy enough for, for just about anybody to use. So that should be. Who the, the fuck is so. Sharon? Sharon's my mom. Shout out. Oh, that's like, I love that too much. Her username in our app is a uh, hodl mama. She thinks she started learning this like Bitcoin terminology. She always runs around when I have Bitcoin friends around and tells them she stacks sats and stuff. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of funny, but yeah. So we're, we're, we really like, I do a lot of user testing with her, but shout out to all the people actually building like easier ways to use non-custodial things. So, cause, cause TBC right now is, is custodial. I think there's, we're, we're going to progress towards a UX friendly non-custodial option. So I think there are some solutions, but like, God, my mom trying to set up a seed phrase, like I can't imagine her etching in 24 words into a seed plate and burying it in the backyard or like, God forbid, doing a multi-sig maybe with like Sparrow or Unchained with some of these solutions that are getting better and better, but we still got a lot of work to do. It's by far easier to use custodial options. Now there's other really cool stuff like Fediment coming out that kind of bridge the gap to, to, you know, second party custody rather than third party custody, but it's, you know, we need to close that gap between custodial and non-custodial. I would, I would much prefer to be non-custodial, but I just don't quite think the UX is there yet to bring on, you know, everyone who's just come to expect on, to log into their bank account with a username and password. There are some solutions, like we're looking into a couple, like two or three, like key options. I think 
MPC opens up some doors. Uh, there's, there's just one app that I really like the UX for called Zengo. It's, it's a total shitcoin wallet. So, you know, don't use it, but their, their onboarding experience is really interesting. There's a key on your phone. There's a key in the cloud that's encrypted and then they hold a key and it, it avoids the need for, it avoids the need for the 24 word seed phrase, which I just think is kind of a non-starter when onboarding on newbies. So, you know, hopefully we can, we can keep progressing towards, you know, better UX options that allow companies like me who start custodial to move towards a less regulated non-custodial option. Yeah. I mean, when I onboarded my parents, I explained to them my just rock solid key management strategy, which is I have a multi-sig setup and, you know, a lot of people like to do sort of, you know, multi-manufacturer, multi-manufacturer, multi-jurisdictional sig What I do is I actually, I have three different animals, one by land, by sea, and by air. So I, I've actually captured a cheetah, a, a tiger seal, and then a, a golden eagle. And I attached, you know, each of the, the, the seed phrases to them, and then I release them. And my belief is when I've earned my Bitcoin, they will come back to me and then I'll be able to, to spend it. But I feel I like mean, that's a pretty effective strategy. These animals have predators. What if someone, what if someone releases like a whale shark or something and eats your tiger seal, whatever that is. It's a great question. The power of Bitcoin will actually protect them. It creates a sort of force field around them that, that makes them impervious to all predatory attacks. Okay. I didn't know that. And I've lost all my Bitcoin. I just got an alert. They're dead. They're gone. It's, uh, I fucked up. All my Bitcoin's gone. Yeah. I guess you only, someone made a good point. You only need two of the three to stay alive. So that's always another, another option there. The also, golden the eagle, eagle. What eats eagles? The golden eagle and the tiger seal are still in play. The cheetah got taken out by a poacher. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, I think, what do you, I don't know what a tiger seal is, but I don't think. Does an eagle have any natural predators? Ben, the mistake you're making right now is you're entertaining this conversation. Yo, shut up, Q. I got it. <laughs> Look, golden eagles are the most majestic creatures ever known to man. They build nests. They raise their young. They're the symbol of America. What more do you need to know, my friend? Why not a honey badger? Honey badgers do not exist natively in this country. To be honest, neither do cheetahs or tiger seals, but we're going to put that aside for right now because this is a hypothetical situation. I'm down to import some honey badgers though and let them start taking over. That happens all over the place, right? Like that's what There may or may not have been a conversation around, could we import honey badgers to Bitcoin 2022? And I had to put the kibosh on it. I had to put the kibosh on it. I'm pretty sure there's a honey badger somewhere in the U.S. It's true. So I'm like really on Tony's gone. I think he would have a lot to say about. I know, like, I know. Me too. I'm, I'm. Conversation stuff. He and I had a really good discussion in Nashville about mint and how like a, a centralized exchange like us could potentially leverage something like that to at least enhance privacy off the platform after a user's, you know, withdrawal. I want to, you know, I'm, I'm bummed out, but it sounds, I think he's, I think he's coming home to, to Austin. So I'm excited to see him. I'll, I'll, I'll take that loss. Yeah, he basically was like, yeah, no, I said I'd be in a good situation, but I'm driving right now. And we were like, God damn it. But next time, you'll have to come back on when we finally do have him on and, and we'll go what? through it. So I'm actually really curious. Can you, can you go into more of the detail around how Fediment could potentially integrate with the Bitcoin company? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want to... This is where I really wish Tony or Justin Moon or someone was around. Maybe I'll pull him Carman, but... Um, our goal as a company 
was always to kind of fight for our users. So while we are going to have a custodial exchange and that necessitates, unfortunately, KYC and a bunch of tooling, because we're going to allow you to move dollars over to your account and buy Bitcoin. So we have to kind of do KYC on the way in. However, we've always like Carmen and I have always been talking about how do we, how do we help our users preserve privacy on the way out? Like, sure, we know P who works at Bitcoin Magazine gets his money legally so he can legally buy Bitcoin from us. But I don't want to know shit about your, your Bitcoin addresses after that. I don't want to know where you withdrew. I don't want to know what you spent your money on. I don't care. And so we've been talking through, Carmen is, is working on a, a few tools, including Vorta. He's one of the smartest people in the world and actually understands the cryptography behind coin joins and stuff. So we were always talking about coin joins off the platform or essentially blinded withdrawals where... Even though we will know, you know, these 10 users withdrew off the platform at, you know, on day X during this batch of transactions, we wouldn't actually know which withdrawal address was specifically yours. And so that's like similar to a coin or a collaborative transaction off of the exchange. So, you know, we know these 10 people are part of it. We don't know where the money went after that. So when a government official tries to give me a subpoena and say, you know, Who's, whose address, you know, where did P withdraw to? I say, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, one of these 10 addresses, but I'm not going to dox on my users. But that's, it's really not an ideal situation. And so an alternative is something like Fediment, which it allows you to kind of like peg in. It allows you to send your Bitcoin to a, a federation. And in return, you get a token that is kind of like anonymized and fungible with anyone else who deposits Bitcoin. A little bit like a casino chip or something in Las Vegas, if you ever... You sit down, you put your money on the table and you get a hundred dollar poker chip or a hundred dollar craps chip. And it looks just like everyone's around the table. And then you go cash it out at the cashier and you know, they don't, they don't know if you handed this chip, you got this chip from your friend, if you got it from the table. I mean, they probably know because they're watching you, but at the end of the day, you get this anonymized fungible token that you can then later redeem and withdraw, you know, Bitcoin from. And so the user flow that we were thinking was. Instead of P coming to our exchange and withdrawing five Bitcoin, ideally we could do some sort of blinded withdrawal or collaborative transaction and, and we would know P is maybe one of these hundred addresses. What we could do is we could actually allow you to withdraw straight to or deposit or withdraw. I don't know how you would explain it, but we would give you like a Fediment token and you would then at a later time, you could trade it with someone off the platform. You could hold it for years. At any point, you can go back to that federation and withdraw actual Bitcoin. And we as the exchange have no idea. Like you could, you could do that five seconds. You probably have to avoid some like, you know, withdrawing the same amount right away to avoid timing analysis, but it would at least let us give you a anonymized version of like Bitcoin, which then you later withdraw to your own personal wallet, or I don't care, some other platform. And uh, we would have no insight like whatsoever. So that's, that's something that, um. I think has a lot of promise. There's obviously trade-offs and risks, but I think as a user, if you're already working with a centralized exchange, there's kind of like inherently less trust with, well, I guess about the same amount of trust, but you at least get to pick who it's with. So I, I do think like you really want to break the connection between any centralized exchanges and, you know, you want to withdraw your Bitcoin and keep it off platform or else, you know, companies like Coinbase and Chainalysis and all these people start popping up and selling your data to the government. If you can break that connection, then, then you, you essentially render those chain analysis companies useless. Hopefully that decent. <laughs>
next question. Totally made sense. Where do you see Bitcoin adoption going in the United States? I think before you jumped in, we were, I was talking about how, you know, in, in so many other countries, so many other parts of the world where people have experienced, you know, hyperinflation, have experienced, you know, bail-ins like in Venezuela, where the government just says like, oh shit, like we're just taking everything above a certain amount from your bank account and we're just using it to inflate our own coffers. Go fuck yourself. You know, in places like that, people are, they immediately or very quickly kind of grok what Bitcoin is and the opportunity that it provides. Whereas in the U.S., you have to explain to someone like, well, here's why it's important to, you know, disintermediate this process. Here's why it's important to not have a bank or a government, you know, basically arbitrarily placed in between you and the financial transactions that you might want to conduct. What do you think the path for massive Bitcoin adoption in the United States is? I mean, I think the Bitcoin company, what you are doing is obviously a massive part of that, but what about like more broadly? What do you think it's going to take for people to adopt Bitcoin and understand at a, at a you know, uh, a significant level, a significant amount of the populace, what Bitcoin is and why it's important? Honestly, it's probably going to take a lot of pain, man. I think everyone, a quote I love is everyone kind of finds Bitcoin when they deserve it, but it's also different for everyone. Like you said, people in Venezuela, Lebanon, hyperinflating countries, it's really easy to understand the, the value prop of Bitcoin. And oftentimes it's, it's the fact that it's scarce. It cannot be printed in other places. If you're in China or North Korea, it's probably not the scarcity that matters most to you. Yeah. That's a cool property, but it's the censorship resistance in the United States. Maybe it's the fact that it's borderless. I can send it overseas maybe, but like for someone like me, I'm not, I'm not actually sending remittances home to my family members, for me, it's, it's kind of like, I, you know, I hate the banks. It's about kind of financial sovereignty and freedom and opting out. But I also like, I never want to send a wire again. I actually want to support Bitcoiners. So it's really interesting how Bitcoin is different for everyone. You kind of have to frame it differently. And so I think in the United States, it's, it might just take, you know, all fiat currencies fail. No government has ever shown the ability to stop printing and prevent hyperinflation of fiat currency. It will happen with the U.S. dollar. Yes, we happen to have, you know, one of the more strong currencies in the world, but it's going to happen. We've, we've printed, I, I don't know, the stat, it changes all the time, but it's something like 70 or 80% of all dollars have been printed in the last, you know, two years or something. Prices are skyrocketing. I don't care what the inflation numbers say, like. Everything is so damn expensive, man. I bought a coffee in Nashville for 1050 the other day. Like you can't avoid it. And I think Did it like, cure cancer? No, it wasn't even very good. It was from this, it was from this fucking place. It had a cool hat, but no, it was, it did not cure cancer. It was, it was just expensive ass coffee and not to mention housing, like cars, like everything is just so costly. And I think. I think maybe that's just what it's going to take in these kind of first world shielded countries is like the financial markets are probably going to collapse. People are going to go from upper class to middle class and middle class to lower class. And they're going to be looking, you know, when, when the dollar does continue to, you know, deflate or inflate and when their, when their salaries don't go up, but all of their food and all their goods and services continue to increase in price. People are going to start noticing something's wrong. And I think at that point is when you actually will start to see people looking for an alternative asset. Now, 
traditionally that's been, if you're fortunate enough to be able to afford it, it's been stocks and real estate, but Bitcoin is for everyone. Like you can buy a tiny bit of it. And so I think like lower class, middle class and upper class will all see it as an opportunity to escape the dollar, to escape a, a collapsing housing market or a collapsing asset market and, and at least find something. Yes, it might be a little volatile. Yes, coin often sells off in correlation during, you know, short term sell offs and, and issues with the market, but long term it holds its value far better than anything. And I think, I think when you're specifically talking about countries that are quote unquote, like strong in the, the international global markets of, of fiat and Forex, like it might just take some time, dude. Like it, it, it will come like that. <laughs> Here we are, Christine Lagarde, like, you know, the, the pain is coming and I'm, I'm hoping companies like us can, can help inform as many people and help people opt out easily, but it's a tougher pitch, man. Like you don't have to tell someone in Venezuela why they should buy Bitcoin. They, they, they know they've been through it. People in the States are, are going to need to have very easy options, like handed on a platter. I think stuff like what strike is doing stuff that makes it spendable and tangible help, but like a max exodus towards Bitcoin, it, it, it's just a different pitch in the U.S., I think. I don't know if that answered your question. I'm kind of ranting. Rant away, my friend. You are, you are in a safe space to really share how you feel of all these matters. I, we could keep going down this rabbit hole. It breaks my heart to hear how expensive Nashville has come into, and I just had to quickly cross that off of the list of where I'm going to live in the next 12 months. So no, I like that. that. Get in a, here. I was in Nashville. very bougie part of town. So, you know, maybe that plays into it. East Nashville. I really love East Nashville. I was in kind of what felt like the Georgetown of Nashville. This, I mean, this hat, it's got my initials, so I wanted to buy it, but it was $66. Like, it's ridiculous, man. Like, I was, I was at a, an old an old shop that had all these cards from like, you were born in 1971 or you were born in 1983 and they told the president and they told the price of goods. And like, it, I think in 71, like, or, or like even 93, like a Nissan Altima was 5,000 bucks brand new. Like these things aren't normal. The oh. fact that the fact that people are comfortable paying $8 a coffee, it's just like, it's, we're all, we're all freaking brainwashed. Like people my age were never born into a world where they, even understood hard money or like, you know, that, that prices shouldn't just go up in value arbitrarily and inflation shouldn't have a target of 2%. So I, I think like people have become accustomed to this and this lifestyle. And it's, it's, it's really sad to see because there are a few people behind the scenes pulling all the strings and it's just kind of messed up, man. So I, unfortunately I think I'll, I'll get back to it. Like it, it's, it's going to be painful for a lot of people before they realize like they, they need to find a solution, but. But it's there. And that's like the silver lining is, is at any point people can opt out. But will they is the question. <laughs> I, I want to know, like, what are the conversations that you're having with businesses around Bitcoin? Are they like, oh my God, thank God you're here. Like, you know, we've been trying to, to figure out a way to get involved. Or is it like, fuck off. Like, I don't need Bitcoin. Bitcoin needs me. Like, go away. What are you going to give us if we start doing like, what is that relationship with merchants right now? It's, it's hit or miss. So we do have a feature on our app where we've started to sell gift cards or event tickets for third-party platforms. And so I've just started kind of warming up my, the, the salesman in me going around talking to merchants, trying to see 
if we can get them on the platform. So like credit, I think Bitcoin 2023 tickets are in there, Baltic Honey Badger tickets. We're, we're trying to at least start with all the Bitcoin brands who really understand the value prop of a user base like ours with thousands of Bitcoiners on it who, who want to attend conferences or want to, you know, I'm talking to Parker Lewis later today about hopefully getting their IRA product in our, in our application for rewards. Those are easy sales. Bitcoiners, we all understand it. And there's like a, an overlap of our user base with, with people that'd be interested. Then there's, there's kind of the ancillary, the ancillary merchants, people like the cattle here in Austin, Texas, you know, fantastic Bitcoiner himself. But also there's this weird overlapping, like carnivore kind of, you know, meat eating subsect of Bitcoiners. And so again, those kind of people, it's, it's pretty easy. However, I was just down at Royal Blue Grocery getting my coffee and I gave them the pitch and they just like, they didn't give a shit, man. You know, I think, I think it's going to take like either native, they they just don't want to work. Like it's not. It's, I don't think it has anything to do with Bitcoin, but it's like, it's like me going in there and trying to tell them, you know, switch your point of sale to mine. Like, it's just a huge pain and it all kind of works right now to a degree. So you really have to highlight either you're bringing users to them, you're bringing some sort of value to them. The thing is you are. So what, what most merchants kind of assume and take for granted is that most of their customers are going to pay with Visa or MasterCard or Amex. What happens when that when, when you swipe and buy a hundred dollars worth of crap at, you know, your local store is they walk away with 96, $97 of that. And the rest goes to the banks and it goes to the payment networks on top of the fact that they are already paying, you know, roughly two and a half or 3% just to, just to swipe your piece of plastic and take your money. They have to deal with fraud and chargebacks and delayed settlement. So they don't get to see the money right away. Then, you know, I can go buy my crap at their store and tell my bank it wasn't me. And they're the ones that are going to lose the money on that. And it's the, sometimes it's friendly fraud. Sometimes it's an intentional fraud. Like for companies like mine, who sell digital goods online. It's, it's fraught with, with like kind of scammers. But one of the big things is you don't have money in hand either. So you have delayed settlement. You have to figure out a way to, you have to figure out a way to like, you know, provide working capital to your own business before you get paid out. And then you're, you're also losing 3% on every dollar you're, you're accepting. And so there's a built-in pitch there for three to 4% of your bottom line. If, if you can get users to accept Bitcoin or you're to pay in Bitcoin, it, that's, that's money straight back into your pocket. You know, we've sold, we've sold hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gift cards and it was all for lightning so far. But had I accepted that same amount of money and, and my users all paid Visa or MasterCard, I'd have about $20,000 less in money right now. I'd have about probably a thousand cases of fraud where we just lose gift cards and, and the users kind of charge it back. And so the pitch is there. I just think like we, we really need to bring more users into the market uh, kind of to, to your point earlier, like if no one's trying to spend Bitcoin, then no merchants are going to want to accept it because it's frank it's not the easiest thing in the world to accept right now and and most merchants they can't hold bitcoin they actually have to convert it to something a little bit less volatile but usually margins are low like imagine being a gas station accepting bitcoin where you're making one percent on your gas and then bitcoin falls four percent that day it's not doable which is why companies that kind of like ibex or open node or even strike i think that are that are making it as easy as possible for a merchant to accept bitcoin but kind of hedge their way into a, a less volatile asset is 
that's probably the intermediary step. Then there will be companies that go out and partner with payment gateways, payment processors, point of sale systems that make it a one-click integration. And then eventually merchants will start realizing, why am I paying 1% to open? Why am I paying 1% to strike? Hopefully, you know, Rockstar and the team can, can get BTC pay server, Nick Dorian can, can get BTC pay server working or some of these kind of more sovereign ways to accept payments as easy to use as possible. I think like it's going to be a slow, steady progression, but it's a, it, it is a hard pitch going into, to really any merchant store and, and getting them to switch over, which is why we've had success kind of like hacking around it with gift cards or our promo codes and stuff. Like I don't, you know, these natively integrate with people's existing purchase flows, which is why we were able to turn it on for so many people so fast. We don't, we don't really have to pitch them to do anything other than give us a list of 10 gift cards that they'll accept at their store. And so it's, it's kind of easing them their way into it. And then maybe we start upselling them on a, on a merchant acceptance business or something, but yeah, it's tough. I think the most scalable way to do it is, is target the, the gateways, the payment processors, the point of sale systems, if you really want to hit scale. But, you know, hopefully more and more merchants opt out, you know, start running their own sovereign hardware. Maybe it's voltage, maybe it's BGC pay or whatever. It's slow and steady. People like, uh, people like Michael Atwood are doing the Lord's work because it's not an easy pitch. So a couple things, Ben, we respect and know how hard you work. Can you turn off your fucking Slack messages for 30 more minutes? And then Chris, we have actually finally gotten to a hundred likes while we are live on air. Could we get a little sats code, carrot code to give to the audience over on YouTube, please? Thank you, sir. Asking, um, you're asking P. No, I was asking Chris, producer. Yeah. You can type in love to the TBC app and get a hundred sats for free as well. There's a redeem code there. We, we, we might be able to spin up something else here after the, after this. Boom. Fuck yes. Let's go. You guys just got generational wealth from Ben. <laughs> Like everyone needs to slide in his DMs, tell him how grateful they are and tell him three things that they like about him. Everyone has to DM him. Who's yeah, watching. Do it to Ben Carman. My, my DMs are I'm full of, I'm full of Tron scams right now, but it's going to be hard to sort through all this. Dude, these scam accounts are honestly like, it's gotten so creative now. I like, to yeah, it's like, I was walking down the street and I saw a bag of puppies drowning in a small lake and I jumped in to save them. And then I had a Tron wallet and can you help me get my Tron off my wallet so I can buy BTC? It's just like, Jesus fucking Christ. Dude, I mean, that one specifically has been blowing up more than any I've ever seen. It must be working. I imagine that's why I get 10 messages like that a day, but it's, it's really unreal. I'm not that popular. So they, they must be taking all sorts of people's money with that. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just students who don't know how to use Tron USDT. Maybe they're maybe they're all kind of. <laughs> they're all I was about to ask, like, "What if fuck you, fuck you?" And they're just like, "Please, sir, help me, just help Why me, you guys." I list a Bitcoin magazine all the time. I'm trying to do what you tell me. Help. Uh, I mean, look, if if someone's sending me their key, their fucking key phrase and their wallet number, like, no. Now you know how that scam works, though, right? You, they send you the thing, you, you log in, you see that there's actually funds there. Ben's literally about to send Tron to somebody. And then oh, you're to move it. Get my carrot stats here. Hell yeah. Oh, fucking get it. Shoot, dude, dude Ben's going to beat you guys. You, you guys better get that code before Ben gets it. That was me trying to dab. Uh, Thanks, Flip. Hell yeah. He's still running that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Shout hell out yeah. carrot team. Killing it. Six, eight, three. Eight, eight, here. Eight. Cash checks to snap and next. Let's go.
I just can't believe you paid $66 for a hat. I'm still feeling <laughs> it. It's not a Bitcoin person initials. I had to do it. Honestly, I wanted to slap the, the barista in the face. Like he, he told me it was $66 and then just walked away. Cause I'm pretty sure he just assumed I wasn't going to buy it. But at that point I was with Tony, I committed, I walked in to buy a hat and I had to get it. So, you know, had I done it, it would have called you a little bitch if you didn't buy it. You're right. Yeah, that's Honestly, fair. That's Honestly, it's, it's felt, it's like, it's terrible for the summer, but when you see, when you see your initials on a hat, you got to buy it, right? That's, that's well. I mean, you're talking, you're talking to two guys who literally go by a single letter and I could tell you with a straight face that I own nothing with the letter Q on it. I have a hat with the letter Q on it. Yeah. That sounds like a you problem, Q. I kind of want that hat now. <laughs> I, uh, someone asked so me, we've oh, been, Someone asked me if it was a Quiznos hat, but that's it, hot. I don't, I don't actually know. I think it's a brand called Quasi, but I have a weird head and not many hats fit me. So if I find one of any, of any letters, I, I buy it usually. So quick question for you, you know, Q and I, we, we, we do the show together. We've been trying to figure out like, okay, what is the funniest name that we could, that we could call, you know, this segment. So we've got, you know, two letter, what is it? Two guys, one letter, right? Clearly a reference to the documentary film, Two Girls, One Cup, or what we could. I'm not sure what that is. Oh, you should look it up after the show. Just go check it out. You know, the other option is mind your P's and Q's or just go fuck yourself. This is like a play on your guys' names. Yeah. Why not? Uh, this is what P does in his free time. Yeah. Me, what I, I do is you, you're the one who's like, yo, we got to leverage this fucking brand. Anyway, the point I mean, is look, A, B, C. Did I call Warner Music and ask them how much for the rights for Major P's accused? Well, my, <laughs> that's good. There's there's a play here. I mean, I'm not sure. We were talking about Amsterdam earlier. There's like the the QP. That's a, a standard weight of measurement in some industries. Which ones? Which ones? The the Amsterdam ones. I like mind your P's and Q's, but is that is that a like a quarter pounder? Like, all, there's a lot to do with a quarter pounder. Like, we can go the McDonald's route. We can also go the quarter pound of weed route. Like, QP is on the table. P is just secretly would try to get his letter in front of mine. And like, no, I think it's way better to have Q and then P. He's got to be. I like, I like QP. The QP. Look, man, I went from being the last letter on this name card to having every name before me finally knocked off. If you want first billing on the title card, you're going to have to take that up with my agent. <laughs> this is where you pull out a card and it's just your name. You're like, here's my agent and it's just Q. All right. Yeah. Uh, we struggle. Like there's just so many damn bands and we're all fungible. Like we don't, we don't talk about things like this. I don't. Dude, one of my favorite parts of Bitcoin 2022 was I think when you were on stage and there was like a whole contingent of people with like signs in the audience. Yeah, I might have, I might have staged an up, up, uprising. It was actually TFTC and the Bitcoin company booth was handing out, I stand with Ben signs all afternoon, coordinating, uh, scheduling a coordinated attack. Unfortunately, Skeef got into it and, and converted a lot of people to, to fuck the Bens. And so that, we had those nice, are the signs that I saw. Yeah. yeah we had a good there, but you, you know, you need all good people need an enemy. So, you know, it worked, but. You know, mostly we broke up the, the Matt and Marty show, which was the, the real important part there. 
Well, that, that was very necessary, but you know, you've now segued me into the question I was going to save for the final 15, but we're going to make it the final 22. P decided to be cool. Wow. The room, I, based on the reflection, I could now see your whole setup and I can see how terrible your setup is. By the way, Ben, I need your power ranking of the top five Ben's in Bitcoin. Oh, all, Ben's are Bitcoin. Ben. all Ben's are fungible. Right. But what is your power ranking list? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble. Uh, I, I'm trying to, because if I wanted to not get you in trouble, I would say you have to keep yourself off, but I actually want to see where you rank yourself. Oh, I'm not on the top. I'm, uh, you got to stay humble, dude. Uh, I, also, not a- I also genuinely like, so for the people who don't know, and you probably, if you're listening to this, you probably do like, there is a stupid amount of Ben's working in Bitcoin. And it's not just like Ben's who happen to be fans. It's people like. Open, you know, like core developers, people running businesses, like it's, it's statistically significant. I think how many bends there are that are actively playing like a, a positive and significant role. So I'll give it to Carman. Carman's the best Ben hands down. Now I will caveat all bends are created equal. All bends are fungible. Carman's the best Ben. He's my co-founder. He's, uh, we wouldn't be here without him. So he's the one that's building all these tools, giving you free sats back. I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can name a top five. They might, I might have to tweet it out or something, get back to you later. But you know, there's, you know, a few that come to mind that would be in the top, like Ben Woosley, Ben Ark is always building cool shit. He, he had like a little, like pay with lightning. What do you call it? One of those claw grabbers at the Oslo freedom forum. Poor Ben Kaufman fell off the wagon. He was a great one, but he's kind of dabbling in some other stuff now. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna entertain this question. I think this is where I'm going to censor myself here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make enemies with my Ben's. We, we have a council to run, man. We got the world. This is a no censorship zone. No censorship is allowed either of oneself. Or we had another Ben in the chat earlier, BTC Sessions. He's all Yeah, I can't believe that that was not a name that you even wanted to discuss. And let it be known to the Council of Ben's that you have silenced Ben on our show and we are coming yeah. to you now as a result. Oh, Jesus. I do not stand behind this message, Q. This is a uh, a fight that you are going to have to fight alone. You're going to get crushed by the Ben's. There's too many I'm of them. Die. too strong. I welcome too death. Powerful. Don't with I you, welcome ben. death. Fair enough. What, what we forget to mention was at the, at the conference, the whole reason there was a Ben contingent was because Carman got shooed by Marty. Like they brought this on themselves. It wasn't just the Ben's randomly attacking TFTC. It was, it was the Ben's defending Ben's honor. We, we will like, you know, we stand for, for. I'm defending your honor, man. I'm letting (laughs) you speak. You just, the council of Ben's is silencing you. So I'm defending. Well, let me rate someone else. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit talk myself. All right. All right. No more Ben ranking. Clearly Ben Price, you're clearly you're a coward and you won't stir the pot. I get it. I hear you. We see you. We see you. What is the, so what's something that we haven't asked you about? Like, what is something that is taking up a lot of your headspace that you think about in the big, that is, as it relates to Bitcoin? Good question. And you cannot say the size of your Bitcoin dick, not an option. I wouldn't have said that. That was you texted it to me. So I mean, that was private, man. Honestly, what's keeping me up at night is running this business. That's that's the number one thing. We're we're a, a venture funded startup, and that that presents all sorts of challenges. It's that one, that one's tough, and and there's a lot of people that 
that not only users around the world, but employees and people that I think, you know, rely on either us or the company for, to, to make a living. So that, that's genuinely what, what I spend most of my time thinking about is how, how to push this company forward and, and bring Bitcoin to as many people as possible. But on a larger level, I've been talking a lot about lightning privacy and fediment with, with Tony Giorgio, I think where we want to push the needle more than most other companies in the space and where I feel most passionate about is, is privacy, even if you are running a, a centralized company. So trying to come up with interesting ways to either provide certain product lines that have, you know, lower KYC thresholds than something like a full centralized exchange or ways to at least tangibly improve on the current model. Like we were talking about, maybe Fediment, maybe collaborative transactions off the platform. That's been a lot of my time. And generally in the space though, I think, I don't know, man, it's hard. Like I used to do so much more reading lately. I've been trying to kind of expand my horizons and a little bit, like I'm reading a book about the design of everyday things. I'm going back and reading more about the fed as opposed to like spending all my time reading about like technical Bitcoin concepts. And so I think like trying to become a more well-rounded Bitcoiner and polymath is really important. Some of my, like Gigi's one of my favorite people to listen to or talk to because he can, he can talk everything from space travel to, you know, time bending to actual physics and chemistry to mathematics, to cryptography. And Bitcoin is like an amalgamation of all these, you know, game theory, economics, psychology. It's, it's like a mix of all these things. You can't just be a good coder and be a great Bitcoiner. You can probably be a good core dev, but you know, you're not going to like understand the implications and the theses behind like, or the thesis behind Bitcoin to its fullest potential. So I think like becoming a better, more well-rounded person has, has kind of been at the, at the top of my book, but even that gets put aside when there's, you know like fires starting up every left, you know, every minute left and right with, you know, users at, at the end of the day, we're running a company and anytime, anytime a user has a bad experience, like it, it kind of personally, personally hurts me. So I gotta, we, we gotta try and clean that up and then maybe I can go read my books again. I don't know. That's a tough question. I wish I was, I wish I was here with Carmen. He's, he's got a lot of insights into like the actual technical happenings of Bitcoin and, and things that are, that are staying up to date. I would say on the technical side though, thinking about Fediment and, and lightning privacy have been, have, have been what I've spent most of my time talking about. And that's because I've spent a lot of time around like Tony lately. Yeah, that's a great answer. Do you worry about anything going on in Normie land as it would impact Bitcoin at all? Man, I, I. One of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to, to really stop worrying about Normie land. I think like four or five years ago, maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe it was three or something. I just stopped watching the news. I stopped listening to what, what, you know, mainstream thing was falling apart and on fire these days. It really just focused on either working or spending time with my friends or just like it became so clear when I found Bitcoin that like everything has an agenda in Normie land and no, I, I'm, I'm really not too worried about it. I think other than the standard things like, you know, the, how we can get Bitcoin into as many hands of these people who really, really desperately need it. That worries me a little bit. If we're talking like attacks on Bitcoin or threats to Bitcoin. I, I don't really think so. I think the, the best thing that anti-Bitcoin government could do is maybe slow it down, but, but it's, it's unstoppable at this point. 
I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not smart enough to understand some of these like intricate, intricate attack vectors, but I don't think it can be stopped. I think the, the cat's out of the bag. Governments can like the best way to stop it would be to stop printing money. They're not going to do that. Like that is, that's off the table. We Bitcoin probably wouldn't have been invented if, if governments actually responsibly or like we stayed on the gold standard or people responsibly like who were in charge of the central banks, like didn't just print uh, in add like to infinity. But the reality is, is they will, the, the motivations and, and incentive model is to print more. And so there's always that. I think, yeah, I think the best thing they could do is slow it down. And that worries me a little bit because I would really like to see this happen in my lifetime and happen as fast as possible and, and say that I, I helped and was a part of it, but long-term zoom out enough. I think the game's over. There's like these long pop after I talk every I, time. I don't no, no, no. We're just, I'm, I'm thinking deeply about it. That's, you know, you and I have hung out a number of times, but I've never engaged you in like a long, like a super long form conversation. And I'm just like, damn, Ben has some good shit to say. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know, man. I think there's just, I've been, been lucky enough to find Bitcoin. I, I was, I was definitely lost before, before this. I knew something was broken with the world. I kind of was into economics and game theory. Microeconomics always made sense. Macro was just ridiculous. And so finding, finding Bitcoin was not only like a figuring out what at the core is kind of like wrong with the world. It introduced me to the fact that like I shift my focus understanding that I think money is the core of all these problems. Like the, the world is revolves around money. People work their entire lives to make money, to hopefully retire one day. Yeah, there's love and other things, but like you, money's very, very important. And at the core, money is broken. It's the one thing that holds us all together. It's universal and it's rotten in every, every fucking country. And all of a sudden there's this solution to this, this problem that we didn't think we had an answer to. And this problem that we didn't think we had an answer to is generating just so many second, third, fourth, fifth order layers of, of like issues with the world, whether it's politics or I don't know, racism, you name it. Like, and you know, everything I think to a degree is a symptom of the rotten money. The fact that it, it, it pays to to be closer to the money spigot and it pays to keep people out of competition with you with regulation and Bitcoin fixes that core. It doesn't fix all problems, but it, it, it at least allows you to work on something that fixes like the root of all evil. Like it, if, if you can layer over, you can paper over the issues with the world. Like I could, I could start the world's biggest charity and feed as many people in the world as I wanted. But the world would still be rotten at its core if we were revolving around fiat money. Instead, we have a bunch of people now that, that kind of saw that and we're working on actually healing ourselves from the inside out. And if we can, if we can save that core, then things will slowly start kind of emanating outwards, I think. And, and we'll slowly start to see these like symptoms that have become everyday, you know, lifestyle that we've come to expect, like become better and better and better every day. And I'm not, I don't know that I'm much of an op optimist, but at least there's something we can all point to. There's something to work on that actually helps everyone in the world. Like before Bitcoin, there, there wasn't that, like I said, you could, you could feed as many homeless people as you want, but they're going to keep popping up left and right because the, 
the, the whole system is built to incentivize that. Like, yeah, I really owe a lot to Bitcoin. I don't even know what the question was, but that's something that I realized is like, it's, it's one thing we can all work on that even if it's a tiny bit, it helps every single person on this planet rather than, you know, maybe you, maybe you do your, your job and you, you know, fix cars and that's awesome. That, that really is a noble profession. But like, I was, I was really hoping to do something more with my life and, and finding Bitcoin and, and coming to that realization that like, this is the one thing that, this is the one thing that I think can tangibly make like a, a large scale difference, but it meant a lot to me. How did you get into Bitcoin initially? What's the story there? Oh man, I was always very mathematic, like mathematical, I guess, as a kid, I really loved psychology, but I was always really good at math. And so when I got to college, I didn't really want to study math. I was sick of it. I didn't really want to study psychology because I want to study psychology. And so I found, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always kind of knew that my, my mom started a company and I saw like kind of how cool that was, but my like real passion was math and econ and the blend of that, I thought like kind of this, like this polymath combination of everything was economics. It was psychology, it was mathematics, it was game theory. And so I really went down like the game theory rabbit hole at college, go Tar Heels. That was, that was my school in North Carolina. And so going down, you know, I learned microeconomics, which I wasn't taught this in high school. So I learned micro really interesting, thought it made sense, you know, individual people making choices based on what they prefer. And then learned macro. And again, it just made no fucking sense that, you know, some guy was pulling all the levers and magically fitting things. Started finding game theory, which was really even a more like technical version of, of econ. So I think like my passion for econ was always there, but shit, man, I, I'm trying to remember the first touch point. Like I never heard about Bitcoin in college. I don't think, I think it was probably at my, uh, I moved to DC eventually and I had one, one graphic designer on my team that I was working with who I think was into like, I don't know if it was Doge or whatever. I don't want to name a bunch of shit coins here because they're all shit, but it was something, it wasn't Bitcoin. And eventually, you know, I was a big reader and I think I eventually read the white paper and like it almost clicked, but didn't quite click and then started going down the rabbit hole. Luckily found uh, TFTC and Stefan Levera pretty early on and they helped me, helped steer me towards the kind of like the logic behind Bitcoin only. And then really it, it was weird. My progression started completely as like podcasts and the more and more that I'm, that I'm in the space, the less and less I listen to podcasts and the more I do like reading uh, on ancillary subjects outside the space. But man, holy shit, did I listen to like so much audio content those first couple of years. So a lot of credit to uh, yeah, Ramsey for telling me about, I guess it was cryptocurrencies, but Stefan and TFTC set me on the right path. And so it's not to say I didn't have some, some painful experiences, but uh, at least I saw the light pretty early on. And, you know, once I figured out Bitcoin only was, was the only way, and then started understanding more about proof of work and proof of stake. And like, it, you know, luckily enough, I'm technical enough to understand these concepts and, you know, Bitcoin's the only way. So I guess that, that was a terrible way to explain my Bitcoin journey, but it was, it was always kind of meant to be there. I think with the, with the econ deep inside me with like, I guess the psychology blend, but came to, came to it from that side of things. I just wanted on record that Ben's inability to answer this question further validates the potential that he is in fact Satoshi Nakamoto. 
<laughs> oh, I like, there's a new theory. The new theory is Ben Carman is like 45 years old, actually. He's not, oh, people think, and that he is, in fact, Satoshi Nakamoto. And it became my new favorite thing because I think you know, I, I, I live with him and I think it's perfectly plausible. Why not? Certainly smart enough. But you uh, do know that, that he is like 106 years old, right? Apparently, well, I'm a Highlander. I'm like two years. I'm like two years older than Q and um, Chris, which makes you are me more like than two years an old than ass man. You are literally on the other side of thirty. That that is true. That is true. Fair That's enough. What? He did. He lived, dude. Things that P remembers as a not young man include Chernobyl's explosion. <laughs> That's the invention down. of hot dogs. I mean, who wasn't alive when hot dogs were invented? Terry Dowd of the Berlin Wall. Uh, the the moon landing yep, and Titanic 100%. sinking. Yeah, like these, these, these happened when people. Come was on, man! Anyone over the age of thirty remembers these things like it was yesterday. Come on, I don't know why you're bringing these things up. Ben, I want to now ask you a couple of questions because we we talked about it a little at the beginning. We're going to talk about it a little bit now at the end. You've already told us you think Amsterdam's too crowded that you're going to do space cakes with me. But what is like your favorite thing to do in Amsterdam? Oh man, smoke pot. Like, Fuck them, yes. my guy. My guy. Uh, so the first time I ever went to Amsterdam, I was in college and, and it was, it was before like pot was legal. And so like the whole point of going was to smoke pot. You know, it's a great, it's a wonder drug. It's fun. I remember going there and we were, we were smoking what they called American joints, which are just a hundred percent. We, you know, they're not, they're not mixed with tobacco and they thought we were fucking crazy. I love a good spliff. Oh, I can't wait for Amsterdam. I think honestly, like, uh, biking around and hopefully like the, the whole point, I think for me, if I'm in somewhere like Amsterdam is I'm on vacation. So my favorite thing to do, if I do end up going to Bitcoin 20, whatever in Amsterdam is, I was going to be hanging out with Bitcoiners, probably biking around, eating some fries with like weird shit on it. Like, I don't know. They have, they have fries everywhere in Amsterdam. That fries but also like spice uh, cakes. Spencer's there. I'm very like careful, like about where I do kind of experiment with psychedelics, but that could be interesting. I, I, I think, I think psilocybin is, is a really interesting drug in the sense that it, 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 at least for me personally, puts me into a state of mind that allows me to like think in a way I would otherwise never be capable of thinking about. So I've had the biggest, the biggest, like kind of life-changing experience of my life was the the first time I, I took mushrooms and it was when I was struggling with really, really caring about what a lot of other people, things like things were out of my control. I would always, I was getting upset about, and I'm not sure how well you guys know me now, but I try and keep a pretty level head. But at that, like mushrooms allowed me to completely change my perception of how I viewed what other people thought of me. Or it, it let me be at peace with things that were out of my control. And it like freed up my mind in a way that changed my life entirely. And so, yeah, given that it's, it's legal there and there's a lot of, there's a lot of great Bitcoiners that'll probably be there. Maybe that's, maybe that's a fun little experience we could try. I, but I got work to do, guys. I can't be doing shrooms and, and smoking pot. Shh, shh, I'm not, shh. I'm not. We're doing it in business meetings, Ben. It counts. It counts as you, you are not allowed to take shrooms while we're on the live desk. Or at least Michael. Fun fact, I took Michael shrooms on our 420 stream. I literally ate shrooms and streamed on 420. All right, fair enough. Big You're shit. a better man than me. 
I'll, I can't um, do that, man. You don't, I'm, I'm, you know, not in my twenties anymore and I don't recover like, Hey man, I'm on my last year of my twenties. Let me ride this fucking wave out with a bang, a glorious, glorious bang. I love, I just love imagining you like projectile vomiting all over the live desk, like in real time, like turning to Michael Saylor and being like, so what do you, it's just like going everywhere. I'm here for it. I will say though, I, I don't love super crowded cities. Don't love tourist traps, which is why I did recommend Leiden or Leiden to everyone. It was somewhere I went backpacking a few years ago. It's got like all the benefits of Amsterdam. It's got all the, the canals. You can still be near water and sit near cafes and stuff. But it's like a little, it's a smaller college town, much quieter. There's not a ton of tourists. So that's probably where I'll be, man. Like, shoot, like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to soft fork and see if we can get anybody over to Leiden or Leiden. Just well, my friends on that note, we have made it. We're 90 minutes in. This has been, this has been incredible. Ben, I can't tell you how much I appreciate. Double the amount I was expecting. That was a lot. No, you fucking killed it. When I asked you to join the show recently, you were like, yeah, as long as I'm with on with another person, like, so I don't have to do all the talking and you fucking killed it, man. This was amazing. Yeah. I I saw it pop up on my calendar and I was just like, oh shit, forgot I said I would do this. And that's you. Here we are. Tony tipsy. Uh, Tony left me hanging here. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to give him some shit for that. Yeah, please do. But I think we, I think we didn't have any too bad, awkward silences. Or no, anything. it was fucking great. I, you, you seem to think yeah. that your, your, your rants were bad. They were great. <laughs> can you take us uh, away? I appreciate it. Ben, where can everyone stay up to date with you and everything going on with the council of Ben's and the Bitcoin company? Carmen and I actually just recorded our, our, our first pod ever in Nashville, where we talked a lot about the council of Ben's and Tony was our first guest. I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day is a little risque, but if that ever comes out, that's probably the most info on the council of Ben's you'll, you'll ever get to hear. As far as where can you keep up with me, keep, keep track of the Bitcoin company at the bitcoincompany.com. We're on the app store, Apple app store and Android store. Honestly, it's a great way to earn Bitcoin and we got a ton of shit coming soon. Support your open source developers. OpenSats is a great way to do that. That's OpenSat, like Satoshis.org. You can donate to a variety of projects. And I think we're actually going to start listing a few of those projects in the TPC app. And yeah, I'm a Bitcoin person on Twitter and uh, I'm still at the phase where I, I can, I can shit post and get away with it for a little bit. So uh, it's, it's like a nice, healthy, healthy side habit I have. So. Guys, make sure you follow Ben. Make sure you follow the Bitcoin company. Make sure you buy your tickets to Bitcoin Amsterdam. Do not leave just yet. Ansel is joining us and we have a new episode of FedWatch coming up with special guests. You're not going to want to miss who these special guests are. Huge surprise. <laughs> I can't even do that with a straight face. Cut to commercial. We'll be back. See you guys. Peace. Peace.